You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. A reading from the book of Isaiah 55, 1 through 9. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may find you. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The word of the Lord. And a reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13. There were some present at that, very, at that very time, and we'll talk about what that very time was, who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all of the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Are those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And I don't know if everybody heard the word that was given today, but here's the rest of the text we're preaching from. And he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put manure on it. And everybody said... Why? I don't know why you said amen to that. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. The word of the Lord. (sighs) Salem, there's some good energy in the room this morning. I love this. It feels good. It feels good. We're in the middle of a series on holy desire. We're asking the Holy Spirit to help us get out of the realm of trying harder to do the right thing and into the more freeing, grace-filled space about having our desires confronted and changed. Because when my desires change, I will be trying less hard to do the right thing. The reason why we have to use so much willpower and exert so much force over ourselves is because we're trying to change our behavior before our desires are transformed. But when our desires are transformed, which is deeper, which is more complicated, it's not practical. Self-help doesn't touch that. Only an experience with the presence of Jesus can touch that like we've been having all morning so far. 
When our desires change, our actions seamlessly change with them. Seamlessly. Two weeks ago, we talked about, and I know this is nobody in the room, but maybe you know somebody, the desire to be pushy. Does anybody know anybody who's a little pushy with you in your life? A friend, a coworker, a mom, a dad? Somebody, somebody's pointing to their husband, praise the Lord, that's good. Right? A little pushy. And we talked about the desire. Like when you're pushy, you add your weight to somebody else's life and you end up pushing them past where you want them to go. Because generally speaking, they're trying to get away from you. That's why they keep moving in that direction. That desire needs to become the desire to support where you brace yourself and you absorb the weight of somebody else to keep them from falling. Jesus is not pushy. He's supportive. Last week, we talked about the desire to fix somebody. Anyone ever been fixed before? Tried to be fixed up with somebody? You can get weird. These people are annoying. And we are all these people. We will not let you off the hook. You've all tried to fix somebody, and the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Somebody then tried to fix you, and you got mad at them for trying to fix you and tried to fix them from fixing you, and now you have this whole big fixer-upper situation happening. When in reality, Jesus doesn't want us fixing each other. He wants us to help people move into the healing that he is trying to execute in their life. Fixing can happen fast. Healing takes a long time, but healing lasts forever. Today, we're going to talk about, and again, probably nobody in the room, certainly not me, first and foremost, the desire for drama <laughs> should become the desire for personal growth because then you'll like drama far less when you actually grow up on the inside. I'm not all the way grown up on the inside, and I love me some drama. And I'm going to tell you why I love drama. I like going to ShopRite the day before we're supposed to get four and a half inches of snow. There are people who are hard at work one day, just trying to get by, stressed, working, and their phone buzzes. It's the weather channel. In nine days... In nine days, there's the possibility of one to 22 inches of snow. <laughs> and they run to ShopRite like if they don't buy bagel bites, they're going to have to eat their children when we get five inches of snow, maybe in nine days. People, I mean, it is unreal. All, yeah, it's unreal. But what happens in that moment is you're stuck at work. You're stuck in your own thoughts. You are in silence. You are in work mode. And in you, you're starting to get unsatisfied with the work, with who you are, with what's going on. And you don't always know these thoughts are happening, but they are all the time. And the minute you see that weather forecast, drama lets you stop focusing on yourself. Stop focusing. And I love my family. I need to go get pizza bites and bagel bites and DiGiorno's right now because it might snow in six and a half months. I'll be sitting there working, just, just banging my head against the wall about the upcoming talk I have to give. And then it just like when you can't produce, when you feel like you're stuck, all of a sudden your insecurities come to the fore. 
Like when you can move through life easily, you don't have to worry about your insecurities. But when you get stuck for a second, when the chariot wheel gets stuck in the mud, all of a sudden you start thinking about yourself in some not so good ways. Then you get the text. Pastor, me and my wife are about to get divorced. I need help. And I'm like, yes! Thank you, Jesus! I'll help you. Did I butt dial them just now? I was praising God in advance for what he's going to do in your marriage. I wasn't happy about the prospect of divorce. But it's like, when we hear drama, there's a part of us that like wakes up because we sort of get high on it as a way of not having to dig deep into ourselves. Have you ever met anybody who when things are okay and everything is just normal, they have to start something, a group text? about vaccines and the whole family now has to have some big meeting and aunt so-and-so is not talking to third cousin twice removed so-and-so and it's affecting everything you're like I need to take three days off of work I can't we smoke inhale snort drama so that we don't have to dig deep so that we don't have to pay attention to what's really going on and when it kicks up oh we act like we hate it can't believe I have to go to ShopRite. There's going to be so many people there. This is going to be terrible. Hot 97 on the thing. This is going to be terrible. I can't believe this. Why'd you put on me? Why'd you get dressed up? If you don't want to go so bad, you look like you're going out. It's Tuesday morning at 11. You're going to Kohl's. Why? And why are you buying clothes? Because it might snow. You bought shorts. But we, we love drama. And we try to keep it in our own lives. And then even if there's no drama to be had, we find things about ourselves to get dramatic about so we don't have to focus on the real things about ourselves. Drama gives us license to do many things. I chose three. Drama gives us license to perform. Drama gives us license to rescue. Drama gives us license to fix. Drama gives us license to be pushy. Drama gives us license to jump into something that started because it had nothing to do with you, but now you can only help it. So you can only play the hero. We love these moments. We love these moments. Drama gives us a chance to perform, and we love to perform because when you perform, you don't have to be your true self. You can be fake, and everyone can be like, man, you really helped. You really helped put out the fire you started. Congratulations. That was amazing. Drama gives us license to procrastinate. Okay, you know what? We had, we had these plans. It's Saturday. We had these plans to clean the whole house, to do yard work outside. But now, you know, now my fourth cousin is going through something. You agree, honey, we have to stop. We can't do what we did today because we love them. So we're going to go over there, and we're going to get drinks, and we're going to go out to eat, and we're just going to hang out. Just, we just need them to have a good time so they forget about their problems. And you totally are doing it. You don't even like them. <laughs> Probably two days ago, you were like, I don't even know why we talked to them. I wish they would stop texting me. They have no life. They're annoying. But now that they can get you out of yard work, oh, they need me. Jesus is calling me. <laughs> Though none go with me, still I will follow. The cross before me and the world behind me. I'm not doing yard work today. We procrastinate. We love the drama. It gets us out of stuff and it makes us feel good about not doing stuff. And then 
it gives us the ability, the allowance, the license to presume. To presume. Whenever there's drama, the most fun part about it is when you're sitting with somebody else who's like you're just commenting on the drama, like sports analysts commenting on the game, like you really aren't in shape, you can't throw a football, but you can talk about it. And so you're over there talking about the drama, and you get to presume with no limits or boundaries. I think I know why she's acting like this. She has an eating disorder. Why? I don't know, I just, I see the way she looks at the donuts. You're just making stuff up because you're getting to say all of the tasty things you've always wanted to say under the illusion that you're trying to help. But all the while, all the while, this drama keeps us from focusing on the deeper issues of ourself that ultimately don't cause drama but trauma. We love the drama because we can ignore the trauma that's deeply going on in our own life. Internal bleeding, but I'm going to deal with this frivolous stuff on the outside. We love that. We love that. So, it says in the text, there were some present at that time. So when I read that, I looked and said, what time was it? What are the things that happened just prior to the... uh, the people going up to Jesus saying, did you hear how Pilate and his soldiers just killed a lot of people in the temple? Here's what happened at that time. Just before they said that to Jesus, Jesus taught a parable on the rich fool who just saved as much money as he could, lived in such luxury, and then died with no friends or family or anyone that he was benevolent to. And it's the famous verse, fool, Tonight your soul is required of you. Now whose will all of this be? He taught that parable. After that, he taught about anxiety. Everybody's favorite topic. If you have anxiety, talking about anxiety gives you... Everyone loves it when Jesus talks about anxiety. Because he talks about it so well, he makes it so real. You're like, now I have it. It's like getting on somebody because they won't quit cigarettes. Don't get on them because every time you get on them, it makes them want to... Come on. I'm trying to help some of you. (laughs) Don't say thank you. Just nod to me. After that, he talked about what causes division. You. Nobody likes that either. Jesus, talk to us about somebody else. Don't talk to me about me. After that, and this is top shelf, like these are the sermons we want to hear, he talked about loving your enemy and being nice to the ones who are talking about you behind your back and not telling anybody that you're being nice to them because they're talking about you behind your back. Just do it. Nobody likes this. After all of those cutting, deep teachings... What do they do? They take out their phones, they go to Newsbreak, and they're like, oh yes, thank God. Jesus, Pilate killed a whole bunch of people, and they're dead in the temple. What do you think about this? They're jumping into the drama to avoid everything that Jesus was just talking about. Don't talk to me about my anxiety. Don't talk to me about how I handle my money. Don't talk to me about how my mouth is what causes division. I think it's everybody else's mouth, not mine. 
don't talk to me about any of these things. And to avoid it, did you hear the latest headlines, Jesus? Why don't you talk to us about that? They jump into the drama to try to avoid what he just taught about. Because when we're busy with drama, we will have no personal growth because we're ignoring the trauma, which is what Jesus is trying to address. So what does Jesus do in this moment? Jesus says, you're the reason why Pilate did that. Because if you were all repenting, if every person listened to me, and if every person repented, and if every person changed, then those kinds of things wouldn't happen. If Pilate told his soldiers to go kill people in the temple, and all them soldiers had repented, they would have said, no. And it wouldn't have happened. Jesus is saying, the Garden of Eden is a wreck. But if each plant would repent of their own thing, then one by one the garden would be healed again. It would be recultivated again. It would be made new again. But if you're thinking that those people who were killed in that temple must have been worse sinners because of the way they died, Jesus says, let me tell you, unless you repent, you'll be causing the same thing. Now, I know, I know it's nobody in this church, because if it is, you've probably gotten mad at me and left by now, which is fine. But there are Christians who say, I know why there was an earthquake in Haiti. I know why a hurricane hit New Orleans. I know why, dot, 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 because if those people would just shape up, if they would just turn to Jesus, if they would just be more respectful when they got pulled over, then those bad things wouldn't happen. And Jesus says, no, unless your mouth repents and your heart repents from blabbering that nonsense, this is going to keep happening. Jesus laser beams right through the drama, right into the trauma, and says the more you blab about them, the more you're allowing those events to happen. People say things like, why does God allow? No, the problem is we allow. We allow these things to happen. Because we don't change. We demand everybody around us change, and we jump on the drama train, and we don't change. But if we changed, if you changed, if you focused just on you and everybody did that, life would change dramatically fast. It really would. It really would. And it would put pressure on those who aren't changing. It would put pressure on them, but not coercion. It would just put pressure on them. I've been in a situation where I thought everybody was going to criticize somebody, and I came in with the flying elbow first and made my first comment. And then I realized right away, oh, no, you guys were about to pray for them. <laughs> Whoopsie-daisies on that one. Overshot the mark. And it puts pressure on you to see yourself and be like, wow, why did I just do that? What does he tell them to do? He launches into this parable about a tree. He says, somebody went up to this tree, the owner of it, and said, man, it hasn't produced fruit for three years. Now, I want to point this out. Jesus does something incredibly clever here. Most people, most people jump on the drama of others to avoid their own trauma, okay? That's most of us. Some of us don't get involved in the drama of other people we 
dramatize ourselves and give up on ourselves. There are some like that too. And there are some who say, I haven't been producing fruit for the last three years. Just cut me down. The soil, the world is better without me in it. I'm just going to pull out of this relationship. I'm just going to pull out of this church. I'm just going to pull out of this job. I'm just not going to be around. I'm just going to keep to myself. Don't call me. Don't text me. If I need anything, I'll get in touch with you. And then COVID came and they were like, thank you. Funny, but also kind of tragic. Jesus says to the drama people, stop getting into this drama. I want to dig a circle around you. I want to pull you out of it. And I just want you to focus on what you can do to change. But he says to the give up on myself person, I'm not done with you. I'm going to cut around you. And I called one of my resident gardeners back there, all the way in my back right here, Courtney Barnes, this morning. I might have texted her a little too early. And I said, please, in the name of Jesus, forgive this early text. I'm stuck in my sermon. I said, why, why do you cut around? What's the point of that? What is that? And she said, probably beyond simple for me to understand, she said, when you cut around a plant or a tree like that, what you do is you loosen the soil so that there can be air and so that water can get to the roots because roots need air and water. Jesus is saying, you are so hard on yourself and so into everybody else's drama I just need to time with you so I can loosen you up so that you can breathe. You need to breathe. You haven't taken a breath in five years. Your soul hasn't went. <sighs> a shout out to the 90s. You're waiting to exhale. Like this is. <laughs> you need to breathe. And when you breathe and you have space the living water of the Holy Spirit can get to the root system. But it means you need to have stillness. I was texting one of my friends last night. I'm like, I don't feel connected to this sermon. I just, I don't feel like I don't want to say anything. I don't feel like, oh, I can't wait to say something. I said, I just kind of feel like normal. And even right now, I feel just normal. Usually, I'm very attached to what it is I'm saying. I just feel normal about this. And he said, your soul is embodying what it means for that tree just to be left alone for a year. Nothing is happening. He said, communicate that to the people. We need something to happen so that we feel alive. But one of the things that kills us is that we always make something happen. We need to feel like things are happening so we feel alive. But what kills us is that we always need to be having something happening. Jesus is like, and I love the confidence that Jesus has. Leave it alone for one year, and if it doesn't produce fruit, then you can cut it down. He knows darn well it's going to have fruit on it next year because he's involved with it. So if you feel like nothing's happening in your life, just pause for a moment because it may not be good or bad. Just the nothingness of a God who's giving you a chance to breathe. The world is going to give you plenty of opportunities to have something happen. If you have five minutes, breathe. Don't breathe with your thumbs on your phone. Just breathe. We had our first thunderstorm of the year last night. I love them. 
we we raced like I have I, I spend like I don't know like a hundred dollars a year on the weather app to have the extra seventy two hour radar because I'm a nerd and I have problems just like everybody else. Everybody else is repenting from real addictions. I'm repenting from my addiction to the Weather Channel. There's probably something in there though to be explored by a therapist. Fine. <laughs> and I'm like, honey, if we don't get these children to bed in the next 20 minutes, they're going to hear the thunder. Ready, break. Let's go. <laughs> and we, I, I mean, I was like snuggling Sophia. I was just like singing, humming, like playing the pentatonics, hallelujah. Like I'm doing everything I can to get her to fall asleep. And then she's like, what was that sound? And I was like, uh, it was a plane. And she was like, well, it, it, sounded, it didn't sound like a plane. I was like, it was a little plane. Just go to sleep. And then she's like, what was that flash? She said to Jacqueline, what was that flash? I, and she goes, Mom, I know it wasn't car lights. Jacqueline's like, oh, honey, just go to sleep, child. Like, you're going to be fine. Just go to sleep. And they didn't wake up. And thank God. Thank God. Just one time. The- Theo is in the phase where he wakes up once every 45 minutes for the last two months. I can't believe I'm standing here right now. He made a way. What was he even talking about? Oh, yeah. So we sit there, and I'm looking out the window like a cat. (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) and Jacqueline isn't saying anything. And like, after a little while, I was like, hey. And she's like, that was like the first time I had five minutes to meditate in a while. She's like, that might be all we need every once in a while. And I was like, Say that one more time because I'm, you just need to breathe. And it doesn't need to be, this doesn't mean you need to go to Aruba for a week. What's up, Ron and Essie? (laughs) It's not in my notes. You keep bringing me back what you bring me back and you can go to Aruba, special dispensation in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You just need to breathe. You just need to breathe. In the text that Anthony read, it says something very interesting. It says, come and buy without price. Skips past us. Says, let me read it. He says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. We can't let those things skip by. He's saying, I'm freely giving you something. So why is he talking like it's still going to cost us? Because our ego doesn't like to just receive something if we didn't have anything to do with it. There's a story where David is trying to stay a plague from happening. He's trying to stop a plague from happening. And he goes up to, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, later. He goes up to (laughs) the house of Ornan or Onan or somebody like that. Close? Ornan, the Jebusite? Thank you. Yes. And he says, I need to build an altar here. And the guy who owns the property says, just take whatever wood cattle, whatever you need. And David says, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. We have to look at that two ways, because I think there are two truths in that that are true. One, I think David is being noble. 
I'm, I, if I'm going to offer something to the Lord, I want, it, I want it to have me in it. I want it to cost me something. That is a good thing. But that could also be seen negatively. I can't feel good about what I'm offering if it was just given to me. I need to know that I was in it, which could also be a bad thing. And we don't know which one it was. I think the Holy Spirit wants us to see that both ways. There are times where we should offer something that costs. There are also times where we have to realize that I don't have what it takes to produce what I need to even offer. I need to receive it from somebody else. So he says, come, come freely. He says, you're spending your money on that which does not satisfy. Here's what I want us to do. When, when you think of this verse, pretend your emotions are money. How are you spending them? If your emotions are money, are you on a budget? Are you spending wisely? Are you spending on the right things? Are you in debt? Are you paying back with interest? Think about it that way. If my thoughts are money, am I spending them wisely? If my emotions and my emotional capital is money, am I spending it wisely? Or am I launching it into investments that always fail and I'm left with nothing? He says, you're spending yourself on things that just don't satisfy. It's drama. For the sake of covering your own self. How many Office fans do I have in here? Who likes the show The Office? It's my favorite show of all time. Don't care. Don't judge me. Because I don't care. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, um, an episode where Andy and Aaron are dating, but nobody knows they're dating. And they don't want anybody to know they're dating because they both say it a thousand times in the episode, we just don't want the drama. And so they, stay, they go, all go out for drinks to an arcade, and they stay away from each other. And it gets so crazy to the point where Andy's like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go hit on that girl over there just so everybody knows we're not together because we don't want the drama. And finally, she's like, this is ridiculous. And they both realized what they were doing was they were creating drama, saying that they don't want drama because they were insecure as to whether or not they would work. So to really get into whether or not they would work, to avoid actually having to say, can we do this? Should we do this? Shouldn't we do this? They created drama to stay away from each other. And Isaiah is saying, you are spending yourself on that which won't satisfy. It's not getting down into what really needs to be healed. Come and have what I'm offering you for free. But that's a cost to us because I don't want to have to be that needy. Part of the trauma in my life is that I refuse to join Jesus in his neediness. I've said this to you before. I said it to the men yesterday. I, me, and Jacqueline will say this to the ladies tonight. Yes, ladies, I'm going to be there too. Hold your applause. <laughs> Jesus is needy. He eats the Last Supper in a borrowed room. He's buried in a borrowed tomb. He rides into Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey. He needs. Because he's inviting us into neediness. Because when we're needy, then we begin to build a healthy community of support. The words that he uses 
are words that we don't like. Incline. Listen. Behold. Seek. Return. These are words that practicality, we want practical things to help us with issues that are so unbelievably complicated, we don't even know what they are or why they're happening in our life. But please, just give me something I could digest. No, sometimes we need something that overwhelms us. Sometimes we need a grace that I don't understand because I don't even understand my own problems. And if I have a grace or a God that I can understand, that's great, but he's not big enough to help me with the junk I have in my life. I don't understand me, so I kind of need a God who I don't understand with some words and things that I don't understand so that I finally just say, God, good, overwhelm me. I just just need to be overwhelmed by you. And that overwhelmingness can wash away some stuff. And then he says something that we all love. (laughs) I'm going to put manure on you. Thank God we don't do that for Ash Wednesday. (laughs) What is that? What is manure? What is he talking about? Here's the thing. At the risk of accidentally saying a word I shouldn't say. I'm towing a line. A lot of our decisions have turned into manure. A lot of what we thought would be a great idea has turned into poopies. We're sitting in a mess that we've made. I remember my previous landlord was like, glad you guys are here. He says, he's he's old school. He's like, don't get a dog. I don't want an animal making on the floor. I always thought that was so funny. At first I was like, making what? Oh. But we've made a mess. It's turned into manure. But what does Jesus say? He says, when you allow my spirit to get involved in your life and you stop ignoring me with drama and you say, fine, Lord, come on in. When his Holy Spirit gets all over our mess... What used to stink turns into fertilizer. He doesn't reject the consequences of your bad decisions. He inhabits them, and he changes them, and then he uses them for his glory. What we're shoveling out, trying to throw away, he's turning into fertilizer. But that process is tough to go through. But when we can sit in that for a year, he's confident that the tree will produce fruit when I come back. We need to be able to sit in nothingness and let nothingness get down into our soul and let it penetrate and let it call up our insecurities and stop suppressing our insecurities with busyness and drama if we really want to grow. You look at the craziest headlines It might not happen in our lifetime, but the more we grow, the better those headlines will get. And the more pressure we will be putting on people who aren't growing, but not the nasty, coercive kind, the invitation. You can get into this health as well. Salem, I believe that we are in the midst of a revival, but not a revival that is going to be on the news because we need to expand our walls. 
I believe that we're in the middle of a revival of our souls. That something is changing in you, even if there's still a few empty seats in the room. I believe that something is changing in us where we are re, being reintroduced to ourselves again. And God is taking our past and our, and our hope for the future and reigniting something in us in the present. And I honestly believe that when we get to Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and we have at least two people who are getting baptized, amen? If you're hearing this here or if you're hearing this online and you want to be baptized, please sign up online right now. Please sign up in the information center. When we have our Good Friday service, when we have our baptism Saturday night service, and when we have our Easter morning service, I believe that God is inviting us to rededicate our lives to him. And I've said this before and I'll say it each week until then. Some of us have to introduce our lives to Jesus for the first time. Some of us have just been so disjointed from what used to be that we need to run back to our first love and rededicate our whole life to him again. And then some of us, we have things working, we are in a mature relationship with Christ, but we know that there's just this tiny little corner in our life that we haven't fully wanted his light to shine on, and we need to rededicate that area to him. But I believe that he is going to do something special for your soul that lights and camera and attention won't pick up on, but you will pick up on that something happened. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Last week... Jesus said to the people, Behold, your house is left to you desolate, and you will not see me again until, everybody say until. until. Go home and do your homework. This is exactly what he said. Until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Everybody say until. until. Jesus didn't say, Your house is left to you desolate. And you won't see me again unless you say. He didn't say unless. He said, because he's confident that everybody will. Because his love is irresistible. Today, he said, why don't you just cut around that tree and leave it for one year? And in a year, you can cut it down. Why is he offering for it to be cut down? Because he knows it won't have to be. This is the confidence he has in his spirit working in your life. You will see again. You will find yourself again. You will get to know yourself all over again. You don't have to be stuck in the cycles that you're stuck in. But you do have to let him cut around you. You do need time to breathe. You do need space for the living water of the Holy Spirit to just gush into your life. And it's not the branches. It's the roots. It's what's going on down deep in the dark. That's where he needs to be. That's where he goes during Lent. That's why we put ourselves through this. Tomorrow is day 20, but I'm not counting. Halfway there.
Why is he so confident? Because he's the one who was murdered by Pilate and his blood was mingled with the real sacrifice, his own body. He's the one on whom the tower fell and he's the tree that was cut down so that he could heal everyone who's been slaughtered, everyone on whom towers have fallen, and so that he can heal everyone who has not produced the fruit of righteousness. Your Savior gets so low, you think he's gone, but he's just under all the manure, turning it into fertilizer. Sometimes you don't know where Jesus is because he's in places you don't want to look. But he's there. And when he's in those places, he's closer to you than even how you want to get close to your own self. He's so, sometimes, and one of my friends said this, sometimes he's so one with you that when you were immature, it was you and Jesus in the room. But you've grown to such spiritual maturity that now you and Jesus are one and you feel like you're by yourself in the room. But it's because you've gotten so close, you're the same person. You're not alone. He is so with you, fighting for you, cutting around, taking things that stink and turning them into things that give life and nutrients. This is what he's doing in your life. And I'll tell you this as your pastor, he's doing it in your life whether you want him to or not. He is not minding his own business because you are his business. He doesn't want heaven without you. Lord Jesus, on the night when you were betrayed, you took this bread. When you saw our fruitlessness and we were chopping down the one tree that was bearing fruit, you, the fruit of the womb, you took the bread and you said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you eat this meal, eat this to remember me. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would descend on this bread and make it for your people the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. And sanctify us also that we might be forgiven for the sin of choosing to live in and or create drama to avoid ourselves, I pray that you would give us the grace through this meal, through this time together, through your spirit present with us as we leave, to give us the ability to sit still on our own skin, to breathe, and to have some space for your living water to flow and to bring healing. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Somebody asked me, is it okay that we don't always have the juice as well? And I think the Isaiah verse says it well. He says, come by wine and milk, and then he calls it food. And so the food, it's all one. It's perfectly fine. If you don't feel comfortable coming to the front, the ushers have communion for you. If you feel comfortable, everybody over here, you can come this way. Everybody over here, you could come this way and receive the bread uh, right here. And then if you just feel like you need to just spend a second with the Lord, don't rush out of here. Let God have his time on Sunday. As the worship team comes up, take a deep breath, relax. If you feel like you just need a little bit of a touch from the Holy Spirit, 
because you're a little nervous to sit with yourself or you're just so busy you don't know how it's even possible to take five minutes to exhale. Just spend a moment with the Lord right now. Take your first breath here. Take your first breath here and then watch what he does for you during the week. You can come to the table. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.